0: Welcome to Vision Magnified.
1: We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly, breaking barriers and smashing stereotypes, proving that we are more than just our disability.
0: Happy Thriving Thursday, everybody, and welcome to Vision Magnified. I'm Sasha. And I'm Amber. Today, we're going to be talking about sports for the blind and blind athletes. Did you know there are a world of different types of sports that blind athletes can do? We also have our own Olympic Games called the Paralympics. Sports such as football, golf, swimming, tandem cycling, boating, and even table tennis, just to name a few, are some of the sports that we can participate in. There's also other sports like goalball and judo. Today we're going to be giving you a little bit of our input and our experiences with some of these blind sports, and then we'll interview Natalie, who is a blind judo Paralympian. I guess the best way to start off is how we got involved in blind sports and how they were made accessible for us. The earliest memory of a blind sport that I have was beeper baseball. Is that the same for you? you?
1: yeah um that was the first thing i remember doing so for those of you who
0: don't know beaver baseball is when they have a beeping ball it makes a simple beep 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 noise and that way we can see it when it is pitched to us or when we're younger that way we can see it to hit it off of a tee also the bases first second third and home all buzz so they don't beep it's more of like a buzzer sound to distinguish between the different sounds and each bass i think is a different sound if i remember correctly yes so i got involved with beeper baseball through the brill institute and i
1: believe that was the same for you as well correct that's correct yeah my first memories of that were i mean i thought it was really fun i kind of was not a very active kid but i found it i was like oh this is a social thing. I'm going to go see all my friends. But like when I got there, I was like, "This is actually really fun." I never could, you know, play baseball with my family, like you know, my uncles and stuff who played uh, for fun because I couldn't see the ball. And um, uh, so it was kind of cool to just be kind of—I hate to say normal—but you know, doing. Something that everybody else kind of does as a kid.
0: I know for me, um, my dad was always like the manager of my brother's baseball team. And my brother was always in sports and I've always wanted to be in sports as well. But aside from not being able to afford it, um, we I didn't really get into much sports because of my vision. Um, Mm -hmm. We used to have a calendar of events that would come out every month from the Real Institute. And one of the things that was there was beeper baseball. I didn't know what to expect, um, but I thought any chance that I could play baseball and kind of further relate to my dad or my brother then I wanted to do it. It was really, really fun for me. I, I enjoyed the game more than the social aspect because I really didn't talk to many people um, until later on at my time in Brent Institute. So, right. um so I really got involved in playing. I liked hitting from the tee, but I also liked having the ball pitched. Um, and mm-hmm. I found that it was so much easier to participate with a beeping ball. And then knowing where every base was by the sound of the buzzing. And they would only ever buzz the base that you're running to. It felt very, I mean, normal. It felt like any other kid would do it. And um, it was something I was excited uh, about doing whenever the opportunity came around. I feel like it gave us a good exposure to sports in general and being active. Another sport that I know we've both played is goalball. I first experienced goalball at Camp Bloomfield, which is a camp for the visually impaired. And I remember a lot of us getting together and playing uh, as an activity. But I don't quite remember anything about the sport, do you?
1: So with goalball, everybody is... Everybody, low vision, or totally blind, is um, under sleep shade, um, and you are actually on your knees. I believe on the ground, and it is um, very similar to soccer, where you know you make a, you try to make a goal. Um, that's the name, goal ball. <laughs> and. Uh, The ball itself had a bell in it. It didn't even have a beeper. It was a bell, like a jingle bell.
0: I feel like it was um, quite large teams, like at least five or seven
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: when we played. Um, But, yes, I I do remember the ball being soft, and I do remember the bell kind of jingling um, rather than a beeping sound. So those are just two of the sports that – uh, that we played when we were younger. Um, Braille Institute also hosted the Braille Olympics. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I I remember that. That was a lot of fun.
0: So the Braille Olympics had events like the high jump, the wall, um, an obstacle course, and I know there were some others.
1: I think fifty yard even... dash, hundred yard yeah. dash, um, the was long that... jump.
0: Was there archery as well? I want to say that there was still archery where they beeped the beeped the target.
1: There might have actually been. Yeah.
0: And I remember um I remember doing the the races because the way that we did them is we would each start at on the one line of the track and there were ropes that kind of separated the lanes and we would hold on to this little rope, this little handle thing and that would mm-hmm. guide us down the the path. And yes, yes. I remember it, it being very interesting to do this, and um, something that really kind of got us out there Braille Institute was really good at getting us active and getting us moving, which yeah. is something that the sighted world doesn't really think about when it comes to blind people or blind children in general. Uh, things like going to the gym or things like having an exercise regimen is kind of difficult for those of us who are visually impaired. Because yeah. our body is so fragile, and it's so easy to misalign ourselves by doing an, a workout wrong or lifting weights incorrectly, um, a lot of us don't even attempt to get healthy in that regard.
1: Right. I know personally, I've, you know, I tried going to the gym and can manage, but I have a hard time reading the screens on the cardio equipment. And figuring out how to adjust the weights on the weight machines Um, group classes are a little easier for myself because I can I have some vision and I can stand in the back and follow what people are doing
0: for me I think the hardest thing is to learn how to use a particular machine especially if it looks interesting Uh, reading the signs and following the diagrams as to how to maneuver a machine or maneuver on the machine is kind of difficult especially when they're not large print and they are not brailed um, at least in my experiences so it makes it really inaccessible for blind people even something as, sim- as simple as a treadmill can be very difficult if you're not sure how to read the buttons if there's no Braille or large print um, so it kind of makes it very inaccessible um, even having usable vision it's very difficult to want to do a dance class because I feel like, again, if I'm not seeing the move correctly, I'm doing my body more of a disservice than, um, than helping myself because um, doing moves wrong or stretching wrong can definitely mess up your back or pull mm-hmm. a muscle or a tendon, and that's the last thing I want if I'm on a health journey. I know there are also pieces of equipment out there for working out that are very accessible and that, or that we can adapt to our needs, such as, let's say, a hula hoop or an infinity hoop. I have both, and I find them to be a really fun, enjoyable, and freeing sense of um, motion, and it really does help me work out and get that activity going get the blood pumping get the heart moving um you know all of that stuff I find that anytime I see something accessible like um those bands those those uh strengthening bands the ones that you have like, resistance
1: bands yeah, yeah there you go
0: those are also accessible and I love those
1: as well mm-hmm. um there's also like oh my god I used to have the this Pilates circle Thing. and that was you know i just would read i kind of put my the, the instructions on this exercises that you're supposed to do i put those up on my cctv and just did them that way um that was definitely very accessible i've seen so many different
0: ways of getting active that we really should be bringing to the forefront of blind fitness
1: there are places where you can do sports at the National Association of Blind Athletes is all over the country. I know that there's one in Oregon, um, the Portland area, Northwest ABA. um, And they actually have audio described exercise videos uh, Mm -hmm. on YouTube. Yeah. um, Yoga. They have yoga. They have Zumba, different cardio workouts. Um, Another good one that I feel is very well described and I don't have to watch it is um, Leslie Sansone, uh, Walk Away the Pounds. It's basically indoor walking um, where you basically walk in place the equivalent of a mile or two miles or five miles, whatever video you're doing. And she describes the movements very well It's either walking in place, stepping up, stepping back, stepping to the sides, crossing your feet, things like that. And she describes those.
0: So aside from doing things to bring fitness to the forefront of the blind community, one of the best things that we can do is to educate students who are visually challenged that there are sports that they can get involved in and exercises that they can do in lieu of, let's say, your typical P.E., I know growing up for us, PE was hell because mm-hmm. getting out there and playing things like wiffle ball, tennis, mm-hmm. dodgeball, soccer, these are all things that I think the easiest thing for me was soccer because the ball was big enough. But like to locate somebody on my team, that was a little more difficult. But things like field hockey or um, volleyball, volleyball. Oh my <laughs> God. Like. Those are some difficult sports for somebody who's blind.
1: That one as well, oh, badminton. Badminton. That one was awful. Like, I mean, at least it didn't hurt when, you know, the birdie would like inevitably, you know, fly at you because you couldn't see it.
0: There was no excuse for those of us who are visually challenged to sit out PE. We had to be right in the thick of things no matter how embarrassing or humiliating it might have felt for us. I remember when we were playing uh, wiffle ball, my partner was amazing at just being all over the court for me. She knew about my vision, Um, but there was a part where, or there was a point where a ball was hit right at me and I just, I swung for all I was worth and I missed the hell out of it. And it's like, you feel so stupid. It's like what are what are you doing out here? When you can't see, it's a white ball with a white net and concrete pavement that's a light color, and there's no thought, there's no accommodation, there's no um, nothing to to spare us the humiliation of competing with our peers when they're not really our peers especially not, not at all in in the sighted realm or you
1: know. the only the only like adaptive PE class that I ever really had was the one where the, the guy would come and take you out of class for an hour and even that is so awkward because you're there you know during art or during a fun subject and Okay, it's time to go, you know, and and, and they'd come get you and it was so embarrassing. I would have preferred
0: something adaptive during middle school or high school physical education because Mm -hmm. I remember that adaptive PE for me stopped in the fifth grade. Yeah, same. At my school, we didn't have an alternative unless you were in um, cheer or band or um, color guard. Uh, Mm. Those were the only ways that you could escape PE. So I was in band um probably until my junior year and then i dropped because i never really wanted to be in band i just wanted my letter (laughs) um yeah but and i didn't want to take pe i didn't want to be humiliated by taking pe in high school i think that they could have done a lot more to make pe adaptive as we got older um i remember some of the things that we used to do in adaptive pe were uh like we had a balance board in our pe class we would use that Um, we would do different, um, calisthenics, like jumping jacks, running in Mm -hmm. place, things like that. Um, we had a balance beam, uh, like, like a low, not too high balance beam, but it was a balance beam nonetheless. Uh, we had tumbling mats. Um, we had all these things. Um, of of course we had the parachute as well, but you know, in adaptive PE, it was just like playtime.
1: Yeah, I wish. I wish they had worked more on my balance as a child in adaptive PE because my balance is terrible as an adult. Absolutely terrible.
0: One of the things that we have to start doing is to pay attention to those of our community who are still in school and find ways of having their back. Um, trying to find ways to make sure that they're included in all forms of physical education so that um, we are able to be active children because active children makes an active adult. And I find that a lot of visually impaired people are not very active. A lot of us are overweight. A lot of us are, um, they don't, we don't care for sports or, you know, being, being active is a constant struggle because that's not something we grew up with hmm. So one of the things that I think that we need to as a blind community do is to come together and figure out how we can help those that are still school aged so that they can get the adaptive P.E. they need.
1: Yeah, even if it is, you know, after school. And I mean, there there needs to be more youth programs um, that. There's not a lot out there, and I don't even think that Braille Institute is doing youth services any longer.
0: No, um, unfortunately, I think round about the time, maybe a couple years after you and I graduated from um, the Braille Institute in our areas, I think they stopped doing the calendars of youth events, and then youth events stopped altogether. I don't know if their funding was cut. Um, but the Braille Institute for the longest time was the biggest source of youth activities. These these agencies run out of money, and yeah. it's really a bad situation because most of the people that they serve are on benefits, so they can't mm-hmm. afford to donate. Yeah, um, and so thus these companies, these programs, they run out of funding and resources that were amazing for blind children. Go by the wayside.
1: Camp Camp Bloomfield actually, unfortunately, burnt.
0: Right, it burnt down.
1: And uh, that was a big thing when uh, I was a teenager, at least.
0: Places like this, like Braille Institute, Foundation for the Junior Blind, Inter-Community Blind Center, Camp Bloomfield, Camp Edwards, is not only do they did they encourage blind youth to get up and moving, but they also provided a way of networking, a way of meeting other blind people, other blind children. And it gave us a sense of community that we would not have otherwise had. If you hear podcasts, guests such as Shanice that we had last week and um, Vicky, who we had the week previously, um, they didn't have a whole lot of ways of meeting other blind children, other Mm-mm. blind uh, members of their community. and it's a shame because blind services such as real Institute are how Amber and I met and uh, we've known each other since we were like nine and 10.
1: Yeah. It's been a while.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, it's, I mean, there's proof right there that, you know, these services can help people form lifelong friendships and we need these types of communities to, allow our children, allow our teenagers, and allow other adults to meet, to network, and to have a sense of community. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you for joining us today. Just FYI, you intrigue a lot of people, Natalie, because this is quite a story. This is quite a life you had. So um, a lot of people that I've talked to about doing this interview are like, oh, I, I really want to hear this because, yeah, apparently um, you're intriguing. I've heard you described oh. as stuff like that. <laughs> no pressure. I know that people like will say visually impaired, legally blind, blind. Like, what do you consider yourself? Um, and can you talk a little about about your condition?
2: Um, I would probably say I consider myself as like visually impaired, or like, I mean, over here in England, we don't have legally blind. We have severely sight impaired, which. the same thing really but that's what i um would be registered as my eye condition i have got um cone rod dystrophy and i've got nystagmus as well which is always fun i don't really have useful central vision like it's not that it's not there it's just i can't focus centrally at all when i do my Like eyes just blur and like the nystagmus obviously won't help that. So I tend to rely on my peripheral vision, especially like the outer edges of my peripheral vision to be able to see things that I can see. I tend to um, rely on that most. And then obviously, as other visually impaired people do, you know, I have all of the voiceover on my phone and screen readers on computers and everything
0: so when cool. were you diagnosed with your uh, with conrad dystrophy and what kind of what led to I guess your parents or your doctors thinking that something might be amiss
2: um well I don't remember it myself um because I was really small when I was diagnosed I must because It was sparked because my older brother has the same condition and um, my mum has memories of going to pick him up from primary school Mm -hmm. when he was, like, five or six, and our school used to hold up signs with your class name or number and ring a bell when it was your turn to go in for lunch and obviously like you know he was being a kid playing on the playground and he didn't see the sign obviously and she has memories of him uh coming out of school in floods of tears because he hadn't been able to eat his lunch because he hadn't known when to go in for lunch and everything and that's what like got my parents thinking they should check something and like they have memories of him like sat on the sofa looking sideways at the telly because it was where he could um focus to watch like postman pat or something Well, that kind of led to them looking at you as well yeah yeah i think because like my parents were told that it was a one in four chance that like they would have had a kid with it so then they just then i think i must i don't really know but they must have just thought you know we should probably check the the younger sister as well for somebody
0: who is normally sighted um how can you um kind of explain how how your vision is impacted like i understand like with for myself because i also have nystagmus how um Trying to focus your eyes kind of makes them wobble a bit. What is that for somebody who's sighted and doesn't understand that? Does that, can you feel that?
2: Do you see that? How does that work for you? Uh, I don't really feel it. I think the only time I feel it maybe is when I'm really, really tired and my eyes just ache. I can see the nystagmus, like stuff around me just has a little bit of a twitch. Well, more than a little bit of a twitch, like a rather noticeable twitch, but like I've I've just grown to ignore it because it's all I've known. So I've just grown to ignore it.
0: Is it just that the eyes that for you the, do your eyes wobble or do they also um not track? Because with my nystagmus, um, my eyes don't track. So like one eye will do something completely different than the other, as well as the wobble.
2: Yeah, they do that as well. Like the number of times like my parents or my boyfriend have gone like close your eyes a sec because it you've got one eye looking over there and the other one's just going off on its own thing completely the other direction like just close your eyes and let them just calm down a little bit is
0: your sight impacted distance wise um or or is it just
2: like how you can see um definitely impacts like distance um like my depth perception isn't it's it's not horrendous but it's not really good either like the number of times i've gone to reach for something and misjudged where it is because it's wobbled and i've thought it was in one position but it's not um and like i can't see things the further away they are like in school i could never see the whiteboard no matter how close
1: i was
0: to it it's funny because people don't understand that like cuz we I know for uh for myself i was literally i had to literally be like inches away from the board in order to see what the teacher Mm -hmm. was writing on it it's like you can't be close enough when you're far away
2: yeah yeah it's like um whenever they used to put like films on the computer um they would have it projected onto the whiteboard and playing off of their computer screen and most of my teachers would be like, oh, come and sit in my seat and give me, like, their seat right in mm-hmm. front of the computer. But I was still like, you know, fair enough, I'll come and sit here. I like it. It's a comfy seat. But <laughs> it, it really didn't enhance the viewing experience for me.
0: So finding out um, that you were visually impaired, do you feel like that set an expectation for your life? Uh, for example, do, did you um, did you feel like maybe like it was going to uh, hinder you from doing things or were you wanting to thrive in spite of um, not finding out you're blind? Um,
2: I mean, like obviously find, like being diagnosed from when you're a kid, mm-hmm. um, it really is more down to the people around you to sort of like, you on more maybe and make you feel like you're more able than what you know society and everything would have you believe um my parents like especially like my mum and my stepdad um they were always they were always determined that me and my older brother would be as independent as possible and would be able to do things in life and achieve things in life even though we both had a vision impairment that would you know cause problems they just kind of were like you know no matter what happens you know try your hardest that's all anyone can ask of you kind of thing
0: so what was school life like for yourself and your brother were there differences in like maybe struggles or in the ways that you guys uh found your way through it um
2: I think we we were supported really really well um we my parents didn't want to put us into like specialist education so we went through mainstream and um we were really fortunate that where we lived at the time um had really good like sensory support team within um the like the local community there was a good um Sensory Support Network, who were able to provide the relevant support and guidance for my parents when it came to getting us the support as we went through school, and um, I mean, my my headmaster of my primary school, he had a daughter who was visually impaired herself. So he was really, really good at getting us the support and helping us get what we needed to ensure that we could, you know, be involved and do things in school like any other kid would. That's that's really
0: cool. I mean, it's hard to say that that's fortunate, but because, I mean, for him having a daughter who's visually visually challenged, I'm sure that was not fortunate, but the fact that he was in a position where he could actually advocate properly for you guys that's um really very very rare if that has ever happened at all and the fact that he did something to make sure you were included that's great
2: yeah I mean like he he went out and got me like a a ball that I could play with on like the playgrounds with my friends that had um like the ball bearings like the bells in it like mm-hmm. he went and found that for me and gave that to me. And that came with me the whole way through primary
1: school. What other um, kind of resources and things did you have going through primary and secondary school?
2: Um, I was taught Braille from, like, the age of, like, seven or eight just because, like, before that it had been large print and stuff and I was just so slow. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I can't read generally anyway but like large print just made everything just so slow and just used to tie my eyes out and everything as well so and they had people come in to teach me braille and regular um tests of like my braille reading capabilities even up to sort of like the age of like 15 16 they were still testing like my braille reading capabilities so that I could, so that they knew that my braille was of a level where I could sit exams and everything that we do in England from the ages of like 16 through to 18.
0: A lot of us here in the States we were actually encouraged to use our eyes and to, not read braille did they also braille your assignments and your uh reading
2: um uh well like like I said like I was taught braille from sort of like seven or eight so I was in I was it I was a few years into my education at that point and up until then it had been like large print but I think they just seen me struggling so much and my parents had just, you know, contacted the sensory support people and were like, look, can can we teach them Braille? Like, they are both struggling, you know, both me and my brother, with relying on large print. We feel like it would be quicker for them to learn Braille. Um, and then uh, we did have access to, like, CCTVs as well for being able to see... Um, diagrams or um, pictures and stuff a little bit better Um, and when it came to sort of like science subjects as we progressed through education um, they would provide us like tactile diagrams as well Um, really yeah that's
1: very cool
0: yeah, um, because that that's that makes it just so much more inclusive. How long did you have the headmaster at the school that was, um, you know, uh, trying to advocate for you? Was that all throughout uh, your primary school, or did you w- did your school go up to a secondary? How did that work?
2: Um, that was during my primary. Ed- that was during my primary school, and that was the second half of primary school where you. Well, you're in year four, five, and six. So from the ages of eight through
0: to 11. And uh, I guess the reason I'm asking is because it seems like you had a really strong support system starting out. Um, And I'm wondering if that, um, that, having that support system, having that structure with your parents, being on board, making sure that you were doing not what, is easiest for people, but what is best for you guys? Um, it seems like since you has such a strong foundation, um, starting out that go the decision to go to university was an easy one. Is that correct? And if so, how did you handle um, professors and things like that in such a big atmosphere? Um,
2: like I mean, like the decision to go to university like wasn't one that I made lightly because. Um, I, I took my A levels, um, between the ages of like 17 and 18 and then, like, once I got the results of those exams, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, so I did take a year out of education, um, because I just did not know where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was like when I was nineteen, I did go and do a couple of um other qualifications because I didn't know whether I wanted to go straight and try and find a job or anything mm-hmm. um and like because because those um those qualifications that I chose to do. They weren't as well supported as, like, my schooling had been. I managed to, you know, pass the qualifications and I have them. But because, you know, I was an adult and there's not necessarily the same kind of setup for adults as there is for kids, Mm -hmm. I I I was supported, but not as thoroughly as I had been through general education. Um, But then, like... I was asked about university when I was like 21 and I found a course that sounded interesting to me and I was like okay I'll go I'll give it I'll see what I can do with it like I really wasn't expecting a lot because the degree I chose was quite like a sciencey practical course so um that would like impose like different barriers and different issues as compared to something like english language courses or like an educational course Mm -hmm. um just because of the difference in the
1: content type in the states we have you know vocational rehabilitation that Supports us through either going to school or getting a job. Is that something that um, you similar? Do you had did you have something similar to help you with university, or did you do it um, all on your own?
2: Uh, well, like we have a setup which is called disabled students allowance, which you go and have a sit down meeting with, um, like an assessor, and you discuss your needs and everything and, um, they put in place, um, like, they, they put in, like, they, um, start, like, a referral to get you the funding money to go towards note-takers for your lectures or, um, a laptop with screen reading software of like your choice within reason obviously yeah. because they don't have millions and millions of pounds to hand out um right. but um i mean i threw that system i got i had note takers in all of my lectures so i didn't have to worry about taking my own notes i could sit and listen to the lecture and take in what i could and then I would get sent over an electronic version of my notes for me to go over in my own time. Um, and I got given a laptop with screen reading software. And I got given like a camera thing that could scan, like take and take and scan like pictures of like pages from. Um, textbooks and with a programme on the computer it would then read those pages to me. I never used it because they didn't really know how to use it, but mm-hmm. um it was something that was there that if I had needed I had I had it there. Yeah,
0: it seems like they really really at least want to set you up to succeed. Um now, is it stuff that they were like oh, in this meeting is it like, okay, so this is the degree or the major I want to have what equipment do you suggest that I have or can I get to do this or does it change throughout? Um, like if you need a different class, to, do they have different meetings throughout your time in university or is it just one ma- major meeting? Um,
2: I, th- I think it, it just is like, it's a general, Um, I'm going to university, mm-hmm. This is my disability. These are my problems. What can be put in place to help me? What can the money go towards? How much money can you provide towards what I need to help me? They couldn't be specific to the degrees because there's such a massive range in the types of degrees, styles of degrees, and even, like, between universities, what they include and don't include in their content. So I I believe that it's just one kind of, like, allowance to go towards making university accessible to you rather than making your degree specifically accessible to you. It's making just accessing stuff more accessible
0: really that makes a lot of sense because especially if 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 a major changes or a student changes their mind they at least still have that software and that capability to make whatever they want accessible so that kind of makes more sense than how they kind of do it over here where you get things tailored to the degree that you want what made you decide to study exercise and health and um i guess did did judo have a part to play in that
2: so i mean like when i was a teenager i really didn't enjoy like physical education in school like i just i was a typical like teenage girl like far too like insecure and just like paranoid about people judging me because nine times out of ten i couldn't really join in properly um But I think sort of like once I'd started doing um, my judo and stuff when I was like 15, 16, once I was settled into it all and felt capable with it, I felt better about exercise and everything. And I got intrigued by... um, exercise and like health conditions and everything. And um, when I looked on the university's website and the courses that they provided, it was, it just sounded interesting because it went, it not only covered sort of um, like anatomy and physiology, but it went and covered like, chronic disease like like prevention and um, like control with the usage of exercise and how exercise is beneficial to people with, um, you know, so many different conditions and how um, exercise actually helps those people to be able to do more than they would if they just relied on medications. It just caught my interest, and I think, you know, that like I wanted to be able to maybe like help people, and I just felt like it was one that I would find interesting to cover the all of the modules. So I
0: know that you had mentioned previously, um you weren't like really into physical education. Um what were your PE classes like growing up?
2: Like, I mean obviously like going mainstream, you don't have the access to equipment that would make sport more inclusive for you. So I was kind of like reliant on like nice friends in my class to help me join in or um during secondary school there was a woman who worked within the pe department who was fairly active herself so she would come and join in the my pe lessons and she would be like my my eyes during those lessons, like if we were playing football, I'd hold on to her and I'd run around with her kind of thing. But I, I just didn't enjoy sport really in school.
1: Completely understandable. It, it can be, <laughs> yeah, it can be challenging. I we didn't. I know personally, I didn't have any of that. Um, people really helping so much. We had to do things like play volleyball. Oh. oh I got hit so. in the face multiple
2: times with volleyballs like volleyballs, uh, whipple balls, tennis
0: balls, ball, are... dodge. yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cricket
2: balls, cricket oh, gee, that uh, cricket balls are really, really hard.
0: Thank, thank fuck we didn't oh, wow. have cricket. <laughs> That's one or lacrosse. Lacrosse is one I yeah. would have loved to play, but probably would have taken some damage from that too.
1: So is this what kind of led I uh to your university uh thesis as far as inclusivity and um in sports and things for the visually impaired
2: yeah 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 like it was kind of like based off of my experiences previously and like i mean i know i know a lot of visually impaired people and i know that so many of them either you know are lazy and just don't necessarily want to do exercise Mm. or just find it difficult to do anything other than kind of like the likes of goalball um and so many people would have issues when it came to like accessing um gyms and everything my thesis my dissertation um idea just came from the fact that, like, I was aware that it was an issue regarding the accessibility of exercise and physical activity for visually impaired people and i obviously knew that i had access to like a sample of people that i could get to fill in my questionnaire and that's
0: interesting because i know you spoke about it a bit on tiktok and i was really really intrigued because not a lot of people think about that they just i mean there are a lot of visually impaired people who just don't want to do anything but for those of us who've tried to be active and who've played sports growing up it's we're still lumped in with with those who just kind of don't really like to exercise or be active but it's a lot of trying to be active and being judged for bringing down a team or whatever with our participation so we're excluded a lot from that so it's really interesting for somebody to actually take a look at the other side
2: yeah and i mean like i i even touched upon sort of like the the pandemic and the restrictions and how those kind of things um affected visually impaired people's like ability to exercise because I mean over here we had a lot of you know we had we had three lockdowns and even when lockdown weren't they they weren't we weren't fully in a lockdown they still had a lot of like restrictions regarding like social distancing and everything and obviously you know if you're social distancing then you're gonna struggle to get a that means that you know you can't go um like you couldn't go and do like a run and have someone willing necessarily to run with you unless you know you were to be living with that person so like and like um a lot of exercise classes and stuff went online and it's just a bit like you know some the majority of people that work within sort of like the exercise um, facilitator kind of role they're not necessarily trained to deal with the visually impaired person generally let alone how to help them get the most from the class whilst you're providing that class online
0: going forward what are you hoping to do with this major and have you majored in anything else while at university
2: um i i suppose i wanna i wanna do something within kind of like health and well-being and helping people to like you know either get back into exercise or get into exercise generally helping um you know that that could be anyone anyone with like a disability or an elderly person or someone who's like recovering from you know the likes of like a a cardiac arrest or they need help um managing their cardiovascular issues or whatever like I would just like to be able to help people to feel better in themselves, like through exercise.
0: I think you'll have a different perspective um, on things than somebody who's, you know, normally sighted. You'll be able to anticipate needs that they probably wouldn't. So I wanna get into talking about judo and um, because a lot lot of your TikTok is showing like what you pack to take to a tournament um, and actual matches that you've had. So I'm really, really interested to talk to you about this as well. Uh, what sparked your interest in judo, and at what age did you start learning?
2: I actually started like fairly late in comparison to a lot of people. A lot of people start when they're like three, four, mm-hmm. five. Um, but I was I was fifteen when I started, um, and I I'd, I'd had like a few kind of like experiences of judo prior to that, um but when i was like 14 15 my little brother um started judo when he was that he must have been i can't remember how old he was he must have been like 6 i think at the time then kind of like um a little while into him being at our judo club the coach decided that she was going to start running like her ladies only Judo session. Um and my mum was like, if I go and have a go, will you come as well to me? And I was like, are they gonna be alright with me being visually impaired and whatnot? And my mum was like, Well, I've spoken to the coach and she's you know really up for having you there. She wants you to come, she's happy to help you in any way that she can, kind of thing. So then it kind of all kind of just spiraled from there oh wow that's
1: really cool um so as a blind individual learning martial arts how do they teach you to do the moves so that you know you're doing them
2: correctly um well my my original my original judo club had quite a few coaches who would be like on and around like the mats with us and um like when it came to like learning movements and everything um the coaches would obviously just call everyone up and go over stuff just generally but then once they were like okay you go and have a go now kind of thing i you know whoever my partner was the coach would come and like they would either demonstrate the movement on me or they would talk me through what I was doing and like position my arms and my feet and stuff in the right places um when Mm. you know what whilst whilst I was performing the movement um and you know that they would get me to do it a few times whilst they would watch me and then they'd be like okay that's cool you're you've got the movement right now just you know practice it again and again and
0: again and again and again again. so when you started um doing the classes you were participating along uh sighted individuals um did you end end up ever taking classes specifically with visually impaired people or were you uh, completely learning around uh, normally sighted individuals
2: i was completely i was just in with everyone else like um i think i think at my i think at my original judo club if i'd had a lesson that was specifically for visually impaired people it would have just been me how do you go from
0: um like learning around um just kind of everyone else to to getting involved in the uh, paralympics and organizations uh what what organizations do you have over there because here we have uh usaba which is the a United States Association of Blind Athletes. Um. So, what would you have over there, and how how do you, how did you go from that to getting involved in something like the Paralympics?
2: Um. Well, I mean, like our kind of like body for sort of like national blind sports is British Blind Sports Association, I believe it's called. Um, or just British British Blind Sport. I can't remember. Um. But um where I used to live and where my original club was um was about 40 minutes drive from where the mm. national like teams were based back before 2013. Um and my my original coach was was known within judo because um she's a quite high level um referee within both national and international like circuits and and and, like rankings and everything so she's she's been in judo like her whole life um and I think sort of like after about three, four years of me doing judo just at my club, the occasional competition here and there, um, she She found the contact information for the person that was in charge of the Paralympic team back then and was kind of like, you know, I've got this VI this girl, you know, what do you recommend I do to help her with this, that and the other? And then um, when, I was, when I was like 19, I started going up to that, that location and training with them like once every couple of weeks or so just to get myself some more like specific training and so that like i was on their radar regarding like potential um like potential like progression and stuff for the future did training change like when
0: you went from learning from a person who was used to teaching uh sighted individuals to to somebody who's used to teaching visually impaired people
2: not really no like I mean judo is such a because it's all contact like literally if you can do it when you can see you can do it when you can't see nothing about judo changes when I'm fighting sighted people to when I'm fighting other visually impaired people
1: and what kind of uh, physical training do you do to keep in shape for judo
2: um. Well, I mean, I've, I've always heard, like, coaches and stuff say, like, the best way to be able to be good at judo is to train in judo, um, because it's really hard to transfer um, the kind of, like, specifics of judo into movements and actions in the gym. I mean, obviously, like, we still go in the gym because you need to be able to be strong. Your muscles need to be able to work for, you know, set set periods of time. But those periods of time can massively and greatly vary. And, like, the only way to get the intensity of, like, a judo fight is to get on the mat and fight with someone. So
0: for those who are not familiar with judo, can you explain just a little bit about... Is it a martial art or is it more of, like, a fighting style. Uh, Is there differences in fighting styles versus tournaments versus the Olympics? It is a martial art,
2: but um, definitely what you get kind of like in the Olympic and the Paralympic games is definitely um, different to the like um, traditional kind of like judo style. A lot of clubs tend to focus more on the um, fighting style that you get within the Olympic and the Paralympic Games because that's what most competitions involve. There's not really differences in fighting styles per se. There's just everyone has their own... Everyone has their own judo. Like, every judo fighter's judo is different to the next. Because, you know, this person can be, you know, small and fast, but then this person could be tall and strong. Like, even within, like, the same weight classification, there can be massive differences within individual players' like fighting styles. You
0: actually got to go to Rio... And represent Great Britain. Um, how what was that like? How what was the lead up to that tournament, like tournaments or whatever, like whatever you had to do to get there? And then what was it like to actually be there?
2: Um, well, I mean, like for me, it's it's still a bit of a like. Okay, that 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 did actually happen. Um, <laughs> even like five years later, you know, even a whole. Other like Paralympic games like later like it's literally still I, th- I still don't have the. Word. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just one hell of an experience. Like I mean, I I wasn't supposed to be going initially, but then with the whole Russia scandal with their um, doping accusations and whatnot. Um, and the International Paralympic Committee deciding that Russia would be banned from Rio. Um I I was able to go then. Um and literally like when, when I got the news I thought someone had died But like between being told and when I went like that, like a week and a half was manic because i had to go and get a couple of injections and
0: right because you're traveling to other another country completely yeah
2: i had to get like i think i had to get yellow fever and tetanus um but like when when we got out there it's just one of them experiences like it's, it's it's really hard to describe that sort of like sensation of like awe and like wonderment almost that I was there and I was actually experiencing these things and like you know my first fight on my day of competition was against the Brazilian home favourite and I was literally like so I was walking out into a stadium full of Brazilians you know screaming their heads off banging everything and just being able to hear like one or two people that were the parents of other people on the Great Britain team. Being like, woo, just like really, really quiet in the background. I was just like, yeah, this is not, you know, this this is not pressure at all. No, not at all. <laughs> what was it like
0: being there just in general? How did they have accommodation set up for you? Um, were there like dorms or what was the whole experience like? Did you get to see Rio at all other than the stadiums and the gyms and stuff?
2: Um... Like you stay in almost sort of like blocks of like apartments or like flats or whatever you want to call them, and like per team, I suppose there's um, and that's that's like per country. So like I was in obviously the Great Britain one, and then I was on then I was in like an apartment with the rest of the judo team, but. Because they hadn't planned for me coming, I was in what apparently was referred to as, like, uh, what would have been referred to in sort of, like, the times when people had, like, maids and stuff. I had the maids' quarters. Really? So, it was literally, like, a a tiny little room with, like, a single bed, just about big enough for me and like a tiny little sort of like wardrobe and then I just put my bag at the end of the bed like I didn't didn't even have air conditioning in my room there was a big air conditioning unit that I had to like turn to face my room when I had the door closed and it was just Mm -hmm. it was mad um (laughs) um and like just around the athlete's village is mad because you know you're walking past people from all countries, you know, all backgrounds of their own and, you know, you look in one direction and you see people walking with canes, you look in the next and you see people on like walking frames or crutches and then you look around behind you and there's people in wheelchairs. It's just mad, there's just so many people and you just think, you know, these are like the people that are the best within their... Um, sports and you're like, you know, you you bump into like Paralympians you've heard of and you're like, oh my God, I know that person. I didn't think I'd ever meet them. That sounds like a very immersive experience
0: and kind of um, uh, an anxiety inducing experience because I would think that since you're around so many people, um, just trying to find your way around being visually challenged, Um, you know, I can't imagine how that would be. Were there, like, signs to tell you where? Did you get, like, um, some sort of a walkthrough? Or did you have people with you? Like, were your parents
2: able to come? How did that work? Um, My parents weren't able to get out there. Um, I mean, like, my mom doesn't fly anywhere. She won't even do, like, the 45-minute that the flight is to go to France. Um, (laughs) But and also because they had very little notice flights and accommodation was an extortionate price um but um when when we're away at like events and stuff like as a team um because like we all know each other and everything like we all know how to help each other out like I've helped a few of them, like, avoid stepping in puddles and stuff when they've not found it. And they can help me, like, read things and find things on shelves and stuff. But then, obviously, then we have, like, the pe- the like the, the, um, coaches and physio and everything. And, like, they all know us as well, and they know how to help us out and stuff. And it's like, when we went for food they we we were all going together anyway and they would help us out finding what we wanted to eat and stuff um but they did do a few like walk arounds of the place with us and um but I, I managed to be able to find my way to the shop and back and stuff if i needed to when you um travel to rio i know that that's not the only
0: place that you've traveled um i know you've done like quite a bit of traveling. Where's your most favorite place to go or what was the most exciting or even like the scariest place to go and do you ever have any kind of anxiety over that being visually challenged
2: i mean like i think i don't think i've ever had any anxiety i think the only part of traveling that gives me anxiety is just like turbulence on the plane um just because it sh- shit shakes me up, like I literally like grab onto people. And I'm like, I don't like the turbulence. Make <laughs> it go away. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like, I think just because like I've had, I've had good experiences with travel um, because of the people that have been around me, and because of sort of like the the airport staff or the flight staff or whatever, like. I think that kind of, like, the anxiety of, oh, my God, where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. What what do I do when I get there? I don't know where to go. It's, like, that kind of, like, anxiety is kind of not... I think it's still there to a point because I'm still, like, what if I get lost, blah, blah, blah. But I think because a lot of the people that I travel with, they know me and I trust them. So kind of, like, that kind of anxiety is, like, suppressed. And regarding, like, favourite places... um, I mean, like Seoul was really cool. I mean, like, like Brazil is nice, but obviously, like, Brazil's very, um, there's such a massive divide between like the wealthy and the poor. Um, but that, that, that's immense to see. Like, that's a bit of a, you, you walk, you, you know, you, you're driving along a road and you have, you know, like your shanty town, your favela, and then you have like, mansions and stuff and you're just like this is crazy because like i'm so used to how life is here where the rich poor divide is less obvious right um do you ever get
0: i guess culture shock would be the thing because things are done very differently in other countries etiquette's there mores you know um social cues that they might have that we don't that might be visual is that ever something you've thought about or have had any experience dealing with um
2: i think i've I've thought about it before um i don't recall any experiences myself i mean obviously there's always the kind of like um thought process of oh you know i'm visually impaired are they going to Notice what will you know is it common place, common practice for them to you know offer scientific guiding or offer like assistance as frequently as it is in you know in England or whatever. Like, is it am I gonna run into an issue? But I mean, most of the time. I don't think I've ever had a
1: problem. Out of all the places that you have traveled, where what has been your favorite destination?
2: Um, I mean, like, I hate to be, like, stereotypical, sort of, like, Brit in America, but, like, Florida was really cool.
0: Oh, what did you do in Florida? Did you go to
2: uh, Universal? I that? did the theme parks. Yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> you always... can't go to Florida and not do them theme parks. I mean it always kind of makes me laugh because
0: people come from um all over the world to go to theme parks here that I have never been to and I live here.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um just to kind of sidetrack, when you went to Florida, did they have the wizarding world of Harry Potter? Did you have any interest in seeing that? Like and if you did, what was that like?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um it was cool. Like we did the Hogwarts Express from like uh, uh, from like the um uh, I can't remember the names of the two separate parks that it goes between but we did the Hogwarts Express ride between the two parks and then um we went at a couple of rides there I don't know this was like four or five years ago now but like, it was a lot of fun. And I did really enjoy it. And I was That's like, it's Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, it sounds much different than the
1: Universal in, in Hollywood here in, um, in California. I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter there. There was no Hogwarts Express. There was, I mean, it was, it was cool, but I think I'd rather see the one in Florida.
0: Yeah, I, I've not been to either, so. <laughs> And I'm I'm a big Harry Potter fan and I would love to go to Florida, so maybe at some point I'll get down there, but I don't I don't think I'm even gonna bother with Hollywood because like why would you want like the lesser version of something exactly. you dreamt about visiting? So
1: I did get a wand though, so that was very exciting.
2: <laughs> no, I got a t
1: shirt
0: when I went. So who do you feel like inspires you whether in life or or in judo,
2: or things of that nature. I'm quite i I'm quite a driven person. If I want to do something and I want to be able to achieve something, then I kind of like you know I get the bit between my teeth and I like run with it, kind of thing. I think I think it's a lot of self determination because there's always been those people that are like, oh my god, you're so inspiring, you're so amazing. I'm just a bit like, no, I'm just being me and doing what I want to do. That's not really that inspirational. I'm just living my life and doing what I want to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also been those people that are like, oh, you can never do things like that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just a bit like, hang on. You're saying I can't do it? Well, I'm going to go and fucking do it. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs>
0: Watch me. <laughs> Watch this space. Yeah. You know, and that's great. Do you, look, I I am always curious to ask, when somebody's as fearless as as you are do you feel like having a good foundation early in life really kind of set you up to to be that fearless to take on whatever and you know figure it out yourself and and have that drive and that wherewithal to make corrections and adjustments when need to and continue on
2: yeah exactly yeah i do i do think so i think kind of like having good foundations and having like a good support network of people around you from a young age does really help like you know i don't think i'd be anywhere near where i am if it weren't for you know the like i mean like my mum is probably the most amazing person in my life like she's she's done absolutely anything and everything for all three of her kids mm-hmm. and like you know sort of like two of us are visually impaired and my little brother's not But, you know, it doesn't stop her from helping him any less or, you know, helping us any more than him kind of thing. It's... She's definitely put a lot of time and effort into being a good parent to her kids. She is kind of like the rock that has stabilised, like, the whole family to her kind of thing. Like... She didn't want to let go of, like, her kids once we started going off to university and stuff, but she knew she needed to um, for our sakes more than anything. But she's never hesitated in coming, coming. you know, no matter how far away we are, coming and helping if we needed her. To, and I suppose, I suppose that my mum my kind of, like, inspires me to sort of, you know, do my best and like make her as proud of me as I can kind of thing but I think that definitely kind of like a lot of my drive is kind of like I'm going to go and do whatever the fuck I like and you know stick my fingers up to the rest of the fucking world. Is your brother as fearless as you are? Um my older brother is probably he's maybe a bit more he's got slightly better vision than i do um he doesn't have nystagmus with the rod dystrophy um so like he can see a bit clear clearer than i can um and like i can be a little bit wary when i'm doing like a new train journey on my own mm-hmm. but he's very much he'll google it he'll find the train stations and he'll just go and wing it and just go and wander off and do what he wants to do kind of thing but whether that comes from being male or being a bit older than me or whatever like he's definitely got less anxiety and less worry in his life than I would say I have like mine is there but it doesn't necessarily stop me. Are you still competing? I know uh, the pandemic has
0: changed a lot of things. Um are you still competing? Are you back to competing like where do you stand
2: with judo now? Um I'm still training. Um I haven't had a competition yet. Um but that's more down to like my own choice regarding the fact that You know, training did completely stop for almost a year. So it's kind of like get myself back into the swing of it, get myself back to where I feel comfortable that I could compete, you know, without risk of injuring myself and Mm -hmm. just feeling comfortable to do what I need to do when I go to competition. So with all that you do between judo and university
0: and training,
2: um and just
0: having a life a social life and getting um you know going out and and cutting loose and whatnot what gives you peace like what do you do to relax and just kind of shut down and
2: you know take time for you um I like to sit and listen to like an audiobook
0: and have a favorite author or favorite series other than Harry Potter (laughs) 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 um
2: No not really like generally I'm down for most books I'll give most books a chance um I like kind of like crime and like detective-y kind of ones but then I also like your kind of like sappy kind of like romance ones as well um or like funny books that just you know sort of like just take the piss out of like a story that are a story but it's about like someone that makes this mistake and that mistake and all these things happen and you just you literally just you know laugh out loud at the book and you're like oh dear um apart from that kind of like i suppose just just sitting and just chilling um like hanging out with my boyfriend or whatever do you um do you have like um uh...
0: A favourite go-to, like comfort food, comfort show, uh, thing like that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, comfort food. I mean, I don't know. Like, I have a massive sweet tooth. And I Same. Give me any chocolate, any sweets, <laughs> any cakes, yes, any biscuits. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> show, I suppose, like if I were to literally just want to put something on to put a smile on my face... It'd be like The Big Bang Theory yes, or like girl. how I met your
0: mother. <laughs> Love Something that. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome because that's also my comfort show. I could watch that series in repeat every day and I wouldn't get sick of it. We have some rapid fire questions. These are just basic, simple questions. One, one okay. word answer type things. Amber, would you like to kick us off? Kick us off here. Sure.
1: Uh, so cane or no cane?
0: Cane. Sunglasses or no sunglasses?
1: No sunglasses. Favorite adaptive software? Mmm, voiceover.
0: Favorite phone app?
1: WhatsApp. Audio descriptions on or off? On.
0: Cooking or takeaway?
1: Oh, takeaway. Yeah, Uh, takeaway. Sighted guide or follow behind?
0: Follow behind. Biggest blind person struggle?
1: Uh, Um... Mm. uh shopping biggest blind person win uh,
2: discounts everywhere <laughs> right <laughs> that's actually a good answer <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: what is uh, a message that you'd like to send to your followers um friends or
2: fans <laughs> um say whatever the fuck you want to (laughs) do
0: well thank you so much for joining you know every time we do one of these podcasts and i go back and i edit it i always want to do an interview all over again and ask at least 15 more questions that i didn't ask the first time around approach things from a new perspective or a different angle because I already heard the first answers and I'm going back and I have more questions and more questions so I hope I do get a chance to interview with Natalie again it was really really awesome speaking to her and we're so grateful that she was able to make the time difference work uh, so that we could sit with her and record I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and we will see you next week listening to the podcast this week
1: we hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time
0: you can find us as vision magnified official on tiktok and instagram and on twitter as vmo podcast see you next time